Part 6 of Confessions of Two Brothers This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Confessions of Two Brothers by John Cooper Powis and Llewellyn Powis. Confessions by John Cooper. Section 6 to turn to a completely different aspect of one's life, I suppose it would be impossible for any human being to be more absolutely under the dominance of literature than I am. I think by books, I move in an atmosphere of books, I am an infatuated bookworm. To the influence of books, I have come lately to add the influence of art. But it is art approached through books, interpreted by books, and loved for bookish reasons. This obsequious submission to literature and art follows naturally from the morbid receptivity of my nature. It follows too from my curious dislike of self-assertion and my weary desire to lie back upon something or other external to myself. I love books and pictures just as I love fate. They are something upon which I can lean, something in which I forget myself and lose myself, something in the presence of which my clumsy and turbulent identity melts and grows lucid flowing transparent this too too solid flesh of mine thaws and resolves itself into a dew when brought near to these delicate influences they satisfy also my deep-seated and inveterate longing for romance for something that shall lead my spirit far away from the accursed commonplace and send it sailing free over distant horizons i hate and loathe the commonplace and yet because of my abnormal receptivity the commonplace invades and stifles me more abominably than any one thing i know certain vile concentrated incarnations of the commonplace especially seem to arrest and paralyze me such is the effect of that horrid moment after midday lunch when in any decent english establishment one is desolately conscious that the unfortunate servants are all gathered at the sink washing odious greasy dishes such is the effect of those bleak littered fretted hours of miserable waiting when intolerable visitors drag on their inane conversation and one watches in a kind of petrified torpor the cups of lukewarm tea and the photographs on the mantelpiece at such times a mad receptivist such as i am suffers misery beyond words lucky indeed are those happy people whose nervous skins are thick enough to endure these bleached hours and their withering negations without experiencing a sensation as though their heads were going to burst such happy people have the power of lolling interminably on sofas and couches when there is no one there who is beautiful and nothing there that is exciting and no discussion there that can rouse the remotest tinge of interest much of this sort of thing would literally drive me out of my wits and send me with the king of babylon to eat grass in the pastures I am especially adapted to be the half-suffocated victim of the commonplace because my damned consideration for other people prevents my lashing out and taking myself off, and my yet more accursed receptivity throws me stripped and helpless into the horrid moments more. Artists, excellent drastic egoists, can strike out and be merciless, 
they must have their little attics and studios to themselves or they will roar like ten thousand bulls but i poor receptive madman absolutely lack this shrewd creative energy in the midst of the materials of life i am as helpless under these blighting social siroccos as a bear tied to a pole i seem to have a pathetic idea that i have only to remain passive and quiescent and all the perfumes of arabia will float through my senses instead of which what floats through me is the withering devastating breath of every commonplace person and object and thought and belief and ambition that our wretched race has ever evoked it is out of the utter paralysis of misery which the invasion of the commonplace causes me that i cling so desperately to literature and art being at once so wretchedly receptive and so absurdly romantic and being at the same time so devoid of the aggressive creative faculty i turn to literature and art as my one grand escape in exciting stories i can forget my vexatious plight and sail away down lovely rivers of enchantment quite oblivious of people and things in poetry and philosophy i can see the world transfigured and even learn the secret of that exquisite lie which would make me believe that the commonplace itself is wonderful and charming if only one looks at it from a certain angle i confess i have never been able to find this angle but it is a relief to be told that it is there it is curious that i should in my general feeling about life demand a certain drastic realism with certain stern abrupt unmitigated edges and yet require art and literature to protect me from reality when it is near at hand the truth is that in the background of my picture of life i like the grey formidable skyline of austere unblurred unsoftened fact while in the foreground and even in the middle distance i like the tender deceptive colouring of literary association this is because i feel that in ultimate things the facts of the situation are more mysterious and terrific than any artist's dream i wish to protect them from artists dreams i wish to keep them untouched and impenetrable it irritates me to see these artists and poets project their impertinent personal fancies upon those granite walls but when it comes to the little things of life when it comes to the immediate world of commonplace persons and ambitions then by all means let us have the artists imaginative creations and give them full play let us have the lovers too and the priests and the philosophers let us have even the sensualists let there be a general conspiracy of exquisite fantastics against this bleak and horrid domination let all things be seen through the magical blurring mirrors of literature and art through these two mirrors i at any rate see everything that comes near me some people have accused me of being deplorably dramatic and theatrical this is a mistake i am only dramatic in a literary sense and only theatrical when my theatrical attitudes have received a literary consecration there are plenty of people naturally dramatic and born with a mania for dramatic situations who are not literary at all i have i confess a deplorable weakness for dramatic situations but they must have that deeper richer 
more continuous atmosphere of literary pungency about them to make them really my true element i am dramatic but not melodramatic this tendency of mine never to see anything directly as it is in clear objective transparency but always through some kind of heightened medium has at different times proved very irritating to my companions why cannot i they say interest myself in a thing's actual shape and colour and texture why cannot i search out in it the impersonal rhythm of nature and her subtle mathematical laws and with people and situations too why cannot i grasp them in their natural independence why must i always be dragging in memories associations and personal prejudices why does not the beauty of the clear-cut reality suffice me without blurring it and disfiguring it with the oblique mists of sentiment and fantastic romance why cannot i even for a moment forget the drama of my sensations and become a clear camera plate for recording the truth why in a word am i always so hopelessly subjective well i have no defence to offer no reply to make i can only say that thus and not otherwise have the blessed gods created me and thus and not otherwise i shall be to the end i am the slave of books the slave of sensations and the slave of my unfortunate receptivism nothing is more interesting than to lay one's finger on the false hypocritical gestures into which at times nearly all of us are betrayed i do not profess to be able to unmask myself at every point our power of self-deception is deep as the salt sea but i think i have noticed one most curious piece of pretence in my habitual procedure which i will hasten to expose it is this in my writings and lectures i continually advocate a certain elaborate epicurean cult a cult of sensations and ideas deliberately undertaken with a view of deepening and intensifying one's vision of life i speak tenderly and passionately of this premeditated art of making the utmost of every drop of time i speak of the epicurean pleasure to be derived from the least and most ordinary events of every day its food and fire its sunrise and sunset its felicitous groupings its chance encounters its fortunate omens its gifts of comedy and tragedy its sacramental and symbolic burden i speak of a deliberate refinement of our powers of appreciation and understanding of a deliberate cultivation of our consciousness so that it should embrace more and more of the rich and astounding spectacle offered to our enjoyment i talk of this art of lingering delicately by the way tasting everything as it passes in its sweet confusion and committing oneself to nothing as though it were an art i myself followed in my own life and wherein i were a master and adept as a matter of fact i am the very opposite of all this the above is my doctrine the doctrine i have drawn from my favourite writers but my practice is the extreme contrary certainly i follow pleasure but anything more different from my way of following it and the wise deliberate organized way recommended in what i speak and write could hardly be conceived here 
and it is an interesting psychological fact i fall completely away from my conscious philosophy i fall back upon the unconscious in myself upon moods and impulses which spring up independently of any art of life according to my philosophy it were wisdom to balance one sensation against another and to connect them all reasonably and intelligently like precious beads upon the silver cord of my self-consciousness my doctrine is that i should let nothing pass and abstract the lovely quintessence and delicate pungent flavour from every single one of my common hours but what in reality do i do i plunge madly about from hunting-ground to hunting-ground i sink desperately into this obsession into that vice i let the most gracious moments go by utterly unremarked as i plan and plot the satisfaction of some absorbing desire some ill-balanced greedy wish of course even here my innate tendency to touch life indirectly rules and prevails a certain type of book for instance becomes a vice to me and i read madly frantically savagely everything else shut out until a violent reaction comes and i would fain bury the accursed thing at the bottom of the deep sea it is curious how one can be inconsistent with oneself and yet profoundly consistent even in love affairs it has been my experience to find myself combining this tendency to treat things as if they were alcohol or drugs with this other tendency to be indirect evasive sentimental and to drag in remote fantastic comparisons it is the same with beautiful foreign cities their squares churches streets pictures and canals my critical friends catch me hanging on bridges loitering in gardens standing at gaze in cloisters and alleys and they say they observe a sort of drunken sensuality in my absorption as if i were one of poisson's amorous satyrs bending over a sleeping nymph it is perfectly true that i have a curious predilection for certain fabrics and materials everybody has i suppose but i must have a way of accentuating and obtruding my tastes and turning them into perversities and intoxications otherwise my friends would not be irritated by such harmless fancies i certainly must confess to extremely strong sympathies and antipathies in matters of places and scenery sometimes these run strangely counter to accepted notions of the desirable mountains for instance dear to nearly all lovers of the picturesque seem to be nothing but depressing top-heavy excrescences bulging forth from the kindly earth's smooth surface and keeping the sunshine and air out of the dwellings of men huge cataracts vast rivers enormous lakes jagged cataclysmic crevices and titanic canyons are all detestable to me and full of desolation my favourite scenery is the seashore especially when there are vast stretches of sand there or wide salt marshes after the seashore i prefer sandy volcanic plains with an occasional abrupt hill crowned with olive trees and one or two solitary cypresses damp fields damp woods damp foliage damp overgrown gardens full of damp ferns are what i dislike most of all they make me cry aloud for the desert 
ruins and storms devastate me why could not the creator have dispensed with these discomfortable interruptions to conversation i certainly feel no inclination to worship him that rideth upon the wings of the wind my god is a god who sits serene and silent under great moonlit palm-trees the thought of the large free expanses of the desert whether in its hot noons or under its glittering stars makes me realize what it is that i require from natural scenery i require an escape i require an escape from all disturbing and distracting objects objects and people i want to be liberated from everything that sticks out from everything that calls attention to itself by its color its form its challenge civilized scenery is classical and nobly monotonous it is a background to the distractions of beautiful cities beautiful people and beautiful works of art gothic scenery is different its hills and rivers its rocks and chasms are always clamouring to be noticed to be admired they are always saying look at us worship us we are the wondrous works of god the civilized beauty of the desert and seashore makes no barbarous claims of this kind here one can forget every disturbing object every disturbing emotion the universe is adored here under one symbolic element be it sand or water there is no mortal thing to separate us from the horizon of air and sky i confess i derive a certain misanthropic and spinozistic pleasure from seeing things thus reduced to the ascetic minimum of form and colour with nothing but the sea or desert before one the planet falls into its place and the primitive necessity of the elements throws life and its concerns into due proportion end of part six